And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ahud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heroshoeth, Hathgoyim. That's a common name. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. This is the word of the Lord. Would you guys welcome Phil on up as you take your seats? Thank you, Carter. Excuse me, guys. Let's, uh, let's just open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. You're the creator of the universe. You are our creator. You, you formed us. You know us. The Bible says that you know every number of hair on our heads. You mark our days. You mark when they begin. And you mark when they end. Thank you, Father, for putting your hand upon us uh, to bring us here tonight as a family. Thank you for sending your son, your son who humbly uh, took that march to the cross on our behalf, carrying our sin upon him, willingly dying a death that we deserved, paying the penalty for our sin and proving it by rising from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that when you left, you, as you said, did not leave us as orphans, but you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, who teaches us, who guides us, who convicts us, who assures us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that we can read it, learn about your character and your plans for us. May we learn about your plans for us tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, it, was, it was quite a, Brandon was talking about a depressing weekend. I don't know what you're talking about. We have the, the, the women, the women won the World Cup. All right. Come on, let's go. We have uh, Coco Goff, I think I'm pronouncing her name right, 15-year-old uh, a girl uh, that is now in the final 16 of Wimbledon. All right, ladies, again. Uh, it's appropriate, I think, that we're studying a woman tonight. We're studying Deborah, and um, we're looking forward to that. But there was, a, there was another sporting event uh, over the last few days. I don't know if you guys caught it. I think it's about to go viral, and I think we're going to see that up on the screen here. And we have, um, oh, yes, there it is. <laughs> we have Carter that just made that unbelievable pass, and there's Brandon. Look at that. Look at that. Okay. Now I want you to watch this. Watch Brandon's hands behind his back. Watch this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Man, here we go. <laughs> Finally, okay. 
Friend, I don't know what you're talking about. Depressing weekend, man. That was awesome. Uh, all in funny. You're an artist. You are an artist. That's all there is to it. Uh, and we thank, and we're thankful for you. But now he's leaving. You see, I told him he had to sit here while we got started. Now he's leaving. Um, I want to tell a real quick story about this uh, kid named uh, Eric. It's not not really his real name, but I'm trying to protect the innocent. Um, Eric was my buddy when I was 16, and my mom thought that Eric was a really bad influence in my life. Okay. And uh, I remember that my, my favorite job in my life was when I was a night janitor at McDonald's yeah, when I was 16. I'd come in at midnight, and I would clean McDonald's. And I'd get done in two hours. I'd make, uh, I'd make uh, hamburgers. My friends would come over, and we'd have a blast. It was just a great job. I'd ride my motorcycle there at night, and then in the morning, I'd take my motorcycle out to the pool and sleep there all day. And, uh, but one night, I loaned my bike to, uh, to Eric. And he took the bike out, and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to pick me up in the morning. We're going to go to the pool together. And sure enough, at 8 o'clock in the morning, there's Eric. He's sitting on my motorcycle waiting for me to get off. And then all of a sudden, my mom pulled up next to him in the car. World War III basically broke out in the parking lot of McDonald's to the point where the manager said, does anybody know that woman out there? And I'm like, nope, 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 no idea, no idea who that is. And uh, Eric came around back, I got on my motorcycle, went to the pool, and you know what? Uh, in hindsight, I think my mom was right. Uh, he was probably a bad influence on me uh, in many ways. Um, but I know that my mother was uh, motivated by love for me. That was her motivation. And I know all the young mothers here Um, I know that you're thinking about this as your children get older, wanting them to be under the proper influences. And I'm reminded of this simple story as a lead-in to where we are in the book of Judges. Uh, You'll recall, uh, just a brief reminder where we are, that Moses has brought the Israelites, uh, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. Joshua has led them into the promised land. And the Lord gives them very clear instructions to drive out the pagan nations that are in Israel. And he gives them these instructions because he knows that these nations worshiping their false gods were their abhorrent religious practices which included even child sacrifice. I mean, imagine that, guys. Child sacrifice. Would one day influence Israel. And God wanted to make sure that his people were protected. He wanted to make sure that they didn't fall into this horrible, horrible path. Like my mother, he is motivated by love. And I want to read this. Uh, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, but you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. He was motivated by love. He loves his people. He wants the right paths for them. He doesn't want them going down the wrong paths. He wants them to experience real joy. He wants them to experience the plan that he has for them. And he wants us, like them, to trust him. But there's a much bigger plan going on here with the Hebrews settling Israel and God just making sure that they were protected. The Lord laid out this bigger plan when he chose Abraham to be the first of the people of Israel many, many years earlier. 
And he said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of the families of the earth will be blessed for all time. You and me are blessed because of Israel. Israel is the nation that God chose to reveal himself to. Israel is the nation through whom God gave his word. No other nation. Israel is the nation through whom the Messiah came into the world. And the success of Israel, the purity, the devotion, the fidelity of Israel was critical to all the families of the earth. But we find that Israel disobeyed God. Israel did not drive out all the pagan nations. We've learned that over the last couple weeks. And just as God warned, they began to intermingle with the pagan nations that were living amongst them. They began to engage in their religious practices. They began to worship the gods of these people who are no gods, who do not exist. They began to engage in abhorrent practices like child sacrifice. And you know, in turning from God, we have societal chaos, and that's exactly what happened to Israel. Without the true God, there is no objective truth, and so you make up your own truth. Without the true God, there is no ultimate truth or moral standards, so you make up your own standards. And that's what we have in a, later on reported in Judges. It says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We might look at our culture today and wonder if that's not what we have going on around us. <clears throat> when this happens, you do have chaos in culture. You have societal and social decay, cultural decay. And we see this in Deborah's time. The highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. The highways were abandoned because of crime, because of fear of living, as everyone else did what was right in their own eyes. Village life ceased in Israel. It just ceased. No more fellowship, no more, hey, neighbor, how's it going? Village life ceased. And when new gods were chosen... It says that war was in the gates, not outside the gates. It was in the gates. This was the time of the judges. This is the time when God put his spirit in particular instances on certain people. And these people were those that would judge Israel. And these people were were those that would fight for Israel and lead them out of their oppression by these pagan nations and bring them into right relationship with God again. Last week, we ended with good news. Ehud, the left-handed man, you remember him, uh, was raised up to bring judgment on the Amalekites and the Ammonites, successfully doing so through the Spirit of God. And we're told that Israel had rest, they had peace for 80 years. 80 years, that's a long time. But the cycle begins again. Now the opening line of chapter 4 of Judges tells us this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. 
Here we go again. Come on, Israel. What is going on with you? But I think that if we're honest, you can plug your name into that sentence. I think if we're honest. So before we're too hard on Israel, I think it causes us to take a hard look at ourselves. This is why the book of Judges is so important to us today. Because we see that in ourselves. It is t- it, the book of Judges tells the story of how God relates with us. It is a story of a just God who hates sin. It is a story of a loving God who disciplines his children because of their sin. It is a story of a saving God who comes to our rescue. First, let's talk about the justice and loving discipline of God. Look, unrepentant sin, bottom line, has its consequences, and sometimes they are dire. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth, Hagoim. And he oppressed Israel for 20 years. 20 years is a long time to be sidetracked by sin. 20 years. Sin is the great deceiver. Sin is the great oppressor. It is the great demotivator. Have you ever noticed? Does it not zap you, sap you of your strength, your energy, your motivation, your zeal? I remember once someone told me that if you find yourself as a Christian in a pattern of sin, watch what happens. You start to stay away from God's people. You lose your zeal. And it brings shame. And shame brings disconnection from the people that we love. And sometimes it derails us for a long, long time. Cicero was a formidable foe. He was a Canaanite general. And we are told that he had 900 iron chariots. Now, iron chariots back then might as well have been tanks to the Israelites who didn't have much in the the way of weapons. Israel was no match for them. Things were a mess. Times were tough. And surely many in Israel began to lose hope. And when you are far away from God, losing hope is a good place to be. If you too find yourself losing hope, as you experience the after effects of sin, been there, remember this, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And it is the discipline of the Lord that causes us to return to him. And that is what we finally see after 20 years. With Israel. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And here we see the judge, the God rather, that saves. You know, the Lord could respond, you know, you people crying out to me for help. You dug this hole for yourself, get yourself out of it. 20 years I've been waiting. But, but he doesn't do that. I use this analogy. It's a very simple one. It's uh, the two, your two hands. I want you to picture one is God and one is you. 
okay? And you're in relationship with God, but then you rebel. You walk away. You go your own way, maybe for 20 years. And then one day you come to your senses and you turn and you cry out to the Lord. And I think sometimes we picture as we make our way back, I have to get my act together. I need to start going back to church. I need to start reading my Bible and praying. Oh, I hope I'm doing okay now. And the Lord is sitting there, uh-huh, come on. Yep, that's right. Get your act together. And then finally, uh. But what really happens is when we turn and when we rebel, what really happens is this. And then when we finally turn, boom. And that's what we see here. We see God come to the aid of his people. They turn like we can turn, and he's waiting there for us to fall into his arms. My friend, uh, I have a friend recently who faced bankruptcy. He lost his job. His debts were mounting. Uh, it, was a, it was a really rough time. He had a family. And every morning, he and his wife would get together and they would pray. And he used to tell me about this. And I thought that was just so beautiful that he and his, he and his, his, his wife would get together and pray every morning. And one day he called me, uh, very excited, to, to report to me some amazing news. I'm like, okay, what's going on? He said on that morning, his wife, as they were praying, his wife said, thank you, Lord, for this season of our life. Thank you for this difficulty. My friend saw that as amazing news. Why did he see that as amazing news? Because when you draw near to God, the Bible tells us he will draw near to you. And when the God of this universe draws near to you, you begin to understand. And my friend and his wife were filled with joy. The Israelites were finally under the loving discipline of God. They were finally drawing near to him, and God drew near to them. He rose up Deborah as judge in Israel. They would soon know the joy of his drawing near. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah. Looks like she had her own palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up for her, up to her for judgment. Deborah was an amazing woman. Here in this verse, these, these two simple verses, we see that she is a judge, she is a prophet, she is a wife. As judge, she would be the judge of Israel's disputes. And people would flock to her when needed to have important decisions made. She would have been recognized for her fairness, for her justice. As a prophet, she would be recognized as someone that spoke the word of God. And as wife, 
she had a husband, perhaps a family. Her duties as judge and prophet were alongside her devotion to her family. She would have been recognized as dedicated, faithful, loyal. She is the only female judge in the book of Judges, and she is the only judge who is also a prophet. She is a true leader of her people. She is truly, truly unique. For Deborah to be recognized as judge and prophet in a male-dominated culture of Israel, she must have been incredible. The Spirit of God must have been strong upon her for Deborah to stand out as both prophet and judge. Deborah's past, we're not told anything about Deborah's past. Nothing. And I think we can learn some things from that. You know, simply put, your past is irrelevant to whether or not you can have a relationship with the God of this universe. And when he rests his spirit upon you, regardless of your past, it is regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, the greatest of sinners, the kindest of of people, whether you're great or least among people by societal standards, it makes no difference. And when the spirit of God rests upon you, it is obvious to those around you. It may be more subtle in some ways, stronger in others, but you know it. You know when the Spirit of God is within you, and so it is with Deborah. The Lord takes action. The Lord, through Deborah, steps into action. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Here Deborah is in a role as prophet. She expressly states that it is God who is organizing and orchestrating this entire thing. She says that it would be the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali that would join. These tribes are up near the Sea of Galilee in a region that was highly oppressed by the Canaanites. And they were told by Deborah that God instructed there would be 10,000 people coming from Zebulun and Naphtali. And we're told that God would draw out Sisera. It's funny that God draws out Sisera and also his chariots. That God does this. He orchestrates the whole thing. And she prophesied that God would give the victory to Israel. And all these things happened, just as Deborah said. Now, Barak, the general, has an interesting response when Deborah tells him what God has decreed. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. You know, we could be hard on Barak here. It's like, come on, Barak. You know that she's a prophet of God. You know she's speaking God's words. What do you mean you're not going to go? But Barak decided, along with a handful of other people in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the, in the New Testament, of other people in the Old Testament, as hallmarks of faith, he, among Abraham and Moses and others, are identified 
as people of faith. Simply put, the Bible doesn't tell us what Barak was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, listen, I need to rally 10,000 troops. It's going to be way better if you're with me. Or maybe he was thinking like a security blanket. I know that God's hand is upon you, Deborah. I just want you near me. We don't know what he was thinking. Whatever the case, Deborah responds to Barak, and her, her response is pretty interesting too. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. So the honor of victory would not go to Barak. It's going to go to a woman. Well, let's, let's see how this unfolds. You know how you watch a movie and in the midst of the movie some completely irrelevant fact is injected into the storyline and then it just kind of disappears and you go on with the plot that you've been watching for the last hour? Well, that's what we have going on here. We're told about this guy named Heber. Now, Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent near Kadesh. And we are told there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. So Heber, who was a Kenite, which is the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, so the Kenites have a good relationship with Israel. Okay? But Heber has chosen to leave the Kenites, to leave his alliance, if you will, with Israel. And he pitches his tent near where this battle is going to take place. And he has made a pact, an alliance with Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. So, some speculate that it was Heber that told the Canaanites about uh, God's plan. Because we're told when they when they told Sisera, when they told Sisera that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his nine hundred chariots fitted with iron. So it appears that that Heber may have told Sisera about Barak massing these troops, and therefore Sisera responds quickly. He gathers the troops and the nine hundred chariots at the Kishon River. So the battle stage is set. Barak and Deborah with at least 10,000 soldiers from Zebulun and Naphtali versus the oppressive army of the Canaanites with their 900 chariots of iron. You could cut the tension with the knife, I am sure. Then Deborah cries out to Barak, go, this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Note here that Barak immediately obeys Deborah. He does not quibble over this command. He knows that God is with Deborah, so he follows it. He knows that she is God's spokesperson, so he follows it. He does not hesitate. Notice also in this verse something very important. It's the Lord that fights the battle. It's the Lord who gives Sisera into Barak's hands. It is the Lord who goes ahead of Barak. It is the Lord who roots Sisera. 
We are told more of the cosmic battle that is going on behind what the human eye may see in chapter 5 of Judges. This, this chapter is known as Deborah's song. It was the song of victory. And what we're told there is from the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishon. What language? From the heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Assyria. This is, a, this is a divine battle. This is a heavenly battle because it is the Lord's battle. It is the Lord that is rescuing his people. And what a coincidence that Sisera just happened to put his army near the Kishon River. The Kishon River would swell with flash floods in the times of torrential rain. And it appears that's what we have here. And torrential rain and muddy riverbanks don't bode well for wheels on chariots of iron. And that day, the Canaanite army was defeated. Let's get back to Heber the Kenite. He had a wife. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. So here we have Sisera, defeated, his army in shambles, and he's racing on his feet to Heber's tent. We are told here, though, that it's Jael's tent, not Heber's tent, because the focus of this story shifts to Jael. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So Sisera entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, just say no. Interestingly, we don't know where Heber is. Where is he? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he got caught up in the battle fighting with the Canaanites, his new, his new, uh, where his new allegiance was. Maybe he was killed in the battle. We don't know. And Jael just gives Sisera some good old Kenite hospitality. But then, Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. I tell you, we have the wrong people setting up the tent for the kids out there, okay? I mean, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Jael, very hospitable. He falls asleep, and she, go, she goes and grabs a tent peg goes up to him and hammers it so hard into his temple that it goes down into the ground. What compels her to do this? Uh, this ruins whatever alliance Heber had with the Canaanites, I guarantee, I guarantee that. The bottom line is Jael remains faithful to the God of Israel. So Jael is the woman who receives honor for the victory. You probably thought it was Deborah. In Judges 5, the song of Deborah, where this great victory is recounted in praise and song, we are told, in the days of Jael. 
Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell. It's a song lyric. I tell you guys, you cannot make this stuff up. That's <laughs> so what I like about the Bible. You know, it's, you know it's true. I mean, who's going to make this up? What's going on? Well, there's some things here the Lord is showing us for sure. First, he uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. You may feel you are the most unlikely person to do anything for the Lord. Why would the Lord want me? What would he call me to? Well, if Jael shows us anything, he can use even us. We see here he's no respecter of persons, man, woman, age, or race. He calls people as he's in service as he sees fit. It doesn't matter what role you have in society. It doesn't matter if, if you're poor, if you're rich. He is no respecter of persons. And he equips his people for their work. I imagine that Jael was scared to death. But it seems she knew exactly what she needed to do. We just finished a series on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gives gifts to his people. He equips his people for their work. But perhaps there's something grander that's being told to us here in this whole battle with the Canaanites, with Barak, with Deborah, and Jael. Recall that it was the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali that came to the battle. They were the ones that swooped down from the mountain with Barak to crush the army of the Canaanites. Well, about 400 years later, we see the prophet Isaiah talking about Zebulun and Naphtali. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. In the past, Zebulun and Naphtali was a humbled area, as, as we can see, 20 years of oppression and more to come down the road. But the Lord is going to honor this area. What's he going to do? How's he going to honor the area of Zebulun and Naphtali? Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So Isaiah is saying, look, you know that area, Zebulun and Naphtali? There's going to be a light, something like, it's like a light piercing deep darkness. That's how God's going to honor that area. Well, what is this light? Isaiah tells us, and you'll be familiar with this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Christ's ministry was in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Christ is the one that swooped down that mountain and conquered God's enemies. How would he do it? Well, the Bible tells us that too. We're told in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of Adam and Eve, that the future Messiah would one day confront Satan. The opening chapters of Genesis. Satan, the great oppressor, the author of sin. And what would the Messiah do? God speaks to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. As Jael is remembered for crushing the head of Sisera, Christ has crushed the head of Satan at the cross, dealing a mortal blow. God took that which oppresses you, your sin, and he placed it on Christ, who satisfied the justice of God for sin by paying the death that we deserve. A carpenter's son, hanging on a Roman cross, the most unlikely of people, Accomplishing God's purposes in the most unlikely of ways. This is the ultimate battle. It's the ultimate victory. This is the victory that all other victories that we read about in the Bible point to. God orchestrating the destruction of the Canaanites through his faithful prophet Deborah, through his faithful general Barak, and through faithful Jael is a picture of what God will do when he orchestrates His faithful son, our greatest prophet, our greatest general, the captain of the armies of the Lord, and the faithful one who goes to the cross to crush the head of Satan, accomplishing salvation for his people. The Lord went before Barak and Israel and rooted Sisera. So too the Lord goes before us and roots sin and Satan at the cross. God himself removes our sin through the death of his son. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And he won that victory for you. Look, as we think about that, I want to end by doing one more comparison in chapter 5 of Judges. Not every tribe of Israel joined the fight. The Song of Deborah gives us some background about that, but I want to focus on the tribe of Reuben. Why did Reuben not join the fight? It says in Judges 5.15, In the districts of Reuben there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben there was much searching of heart. The word of God came clearly to Deborah. So what was Reuben doing searching its heart? We're told that the heart is wicked and deceitful. What was Reuben's heart saying? Don't go to battle. Stay here. Take care of the sheep. We do this all the time. We know what the word of God says. It's very clear, but we have a 
searching of heart sometimes. We don't like what we read, we don't like what we hear, so we look for something else in our heart that's positive. Surely the Lord wants me to do this instead. Or surely this is okay. We are just as guilty as Reuben, searching the heart in light of the clear word of God. How does this compare to Zebulun and Naphtali? What did they do? What made the difference? It's a lesson that helps us a lot. Deborah sings of this in her song as well. When the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. My heart is with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. The willingness to abandon yourself to God's promises. I want to tell you a story about my brother Mike. Um, I'm the oldest of five kids. Sorry. <clears throat> Mike's my little brother. And I'd spent a lot of time when I became a Christian over 25 years ago through that guy sitting back there, Dave Sivarite, and this woman sitting over here, Debbie Peterson. Um, well, I had to tell everybody. So I told my brother Mike. And we talked for a long time. We talked for months. Now, Mike at this time was a womanizer. He was probably an alcoholic. And he, he understood what I was telling him, and I think he even intellectually got to that point where he agreed that Jesus died on a cross for sin and rose from the dead. And I could tell something wasn't clicking. And I said to Mike, I said, Mike, let me ask you a question. Are, are you afraid of making a commitment because you think you're going to fail? Silence is on the phone. Then I heard him go, yes. I said, oh, you will fail. You will fail, Mike, but let me ask you a question. If you could have the power given to you to stop sleeping around the way you are, would you want that power? Silence. Yes. And Mike, if you could have the power to stop drinking the way you're drinking, if that power could be given to you, would you want that power? Yes. I said, brother, that's all the Lord's waiting for is a willing heart. About a week later, my mother... My, watch out for that, Eric kid mother. She calls me up. She goes, have you talked to Mike? I go, huh? What? What's the matter? What happened? Have you talked to him? I, a week ago? Why? What's wrong? Oh, my gosh. He's completely changed. I go, what? I go, what are you talking about? 
And she told me to call him, so I called him up. Apparently, after we got off the phone, he got on his knees and he prayed that Christ would come into his heart. And make him the person that God wanted him to be. My brother has him in the same sense. He's led his whole family to the Lord. Oh, because he has a willing heart. And that's all God's looking for. When God acts with a willing heart, we too sing with Deborah and Barak. Verse 3 of their song. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, even I will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you for the story of Deborah. Thank you that you speak to us in your word. That you show us that when we cry out to you and turn to you, that you are there. Thank you that you fight our battles, that we can go to you with our anger, our stress, our doubt, our bitterness, even after it's taken root, our indifference. You just ask for a willing heart, Lord. And when we come to you with a willing heart, you act. And you fight our battles for us. Because the victory has already been done at the cross. We've already won. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.